0: Good morning, church. Happy New Year. Uh, My name is Michael. I'm a covenant partner here at First Pres, and I have the privilege of reading sacred scripture. Uh, This morning, we we begin a new series in the book of Hebrews, uh, worshiping the Lord by celebrating the greatness of Jesus. Understanding the greatness of Jesus leads to human flourishing, strengthening our faith to sustain our discipleship. Join me in reading about the greatness of Jesus in Hebrews chapter 1, Verses one through four, hear the word of the Lord. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of God, of the glory of God, and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field.
1: happy new year everybody it is a joy to worship with you this morning if you have bibles please keep it open there we go it's a lot easier than it looks trust me take the mask off uh just to uh, have precaution so keep your bible open we're going to look at a book of hebrews and uh, i'm excited it's a new year it's hard to believe it's 2022 uh, and, you know, I like to start every year strong. I like to start with commitments to do things better, to be better. And I just come to you this morning just broken. And uh, I'm going to give you a little illustration of how I feel. Uh, this morning, um, <laughs> I let my dog out. And I don't know how cold it was at your house, but it was like nine degrees at mine. It was freezing, like, like San Antonio nine degrees. That's cold, you know. I let my dog out. Uh, it was early fed my dog. And during the night, uh, the wind had blown the door to my back gate open. So our house, by the way, is warmer than nine degrees. And I fed my dog because I love my dog. And my tiny dog can't stand the cold. I didn't even stay outside to eat his food. He just scratched on the door until I let him in. I think he had like two or three bites. That's fine. He wanted to be in. My older dog. Java just cleans house. Anytime there's any food, he's eating it. And he stayed outside a little while, and I was like, man, he's got to want to come in at some point. And I opened the door to let him in, and he had found his way, he followed his nose out the back gate, and he had just disappeared out of the yard. And I thought, what a stupid dog. <laughs> it's nine degrees outside, and it's warm in the house. And by the way, I'm the dude that always pets that thing and feeds him, and there he goes running off. And so I spent my morning in my car with my windows down yelling at my neighbor's houses, uh, my dog's name, until I found him. Uh, but I thought, you know, that's a good illustration of my heart, that I have a God that loves me, and it feeds me, and it offers me warmth and shelter, and my heart just wanders. Any sort of opening, it just goes. And if you're anything like me, then you're going to need God's Holy Spirit to Help your heart to be affectionate for his love, that you can respond to this invitation to worship him through studying his word. So uh, if your heart's prone to wander like mine, would you uh, go to the Lord of the Word before we study the Word of the Lord together with me? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love, that you're a good God that takes care of us. You give us everything we need, abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. And Lord, you feed us with your word, and so often we follow the noses of our souls, and we just wander out of your protection and your provision, and we just explore, we just follow our instincts. Lord, we thank you for your grace that invites us back, and I ask that your spirit would speak through your word, and that you would feed our souls through your work as we come to the table, but through this time together as we study. Lord, would you open our eyes to your amazing love for us and help us to see the invitation it is to know you and and your greatness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are going to start a new book, a new series in a new year. That's appropriate. And maybe you want to have a new you like me. uh, That starts with God's grace and being dependent on him. Uh, But hopefully as you hear this series, Jesus is greater. Jesus is better. Uh, You do not hear this as an invitation into some sort of of moral management that you come to this and like, I am just going to see Jesus is better and I'm going to be better. All right. Hopefully you don't hear this in some sort of shame sandwich way where we say, well, you certainly haven't been doing better. Now you need to come to Jesus and be better. That's not the point. The point is that Jesus is greater, Jesus is better, and the ground of his grace is what we stand on, not only to experience the satisfaction that he invites us to, but also to experience sustaining discipleship. A discipleship that can weather and go through all kinds of difficulties and darkness. It's the power, when we enter into a relationship with Christ, of what Thomas Boston calls a new affection. And if you're looking for some reading this week, it's a free uh, online article. It's, It's common domain now. He's so old, he's an old Puritan. But he wrote an article called The Power of a New Affection. And if you want to have sustaining steps in a new direction, then you need to be rooted in a new affection. Seeing the love of Christ in a real relationship with him As a greater affection and desire than all other affections and desires, to see his worth above everyone and everything in this world. Now, the book of Hebrews, we're going to be sitting in it all the way through June, the beginning of June. It's 13 chapters long, and if you look at verse 22 of chapter 13, uh, the author of Hebrews calls this a brief word of exhortation. (laughs) 13 chapters, right? (laughs) Clearly this guy had to be a preacher. This is a brief sermon, and 13 chapters later, he's writing uh, persecuted Christians that have a very deep, root system in the soil of God's word. They're very familiar with the Old Testament. We're going to celebrate and see how the Old Testament and New Testament come together in beautiful ways and how Jesus is the fulfillment of both. But we know for a fact that these folks were persecuted Christians. They were imprisoned Christians. And we find that in places such as chapter 10, verse 34. And he's writing them the central theme of the greatness of Jesus Christ. In the fact of his greatness uh, sustains faith, it strengthens our endurance, and it compels us to follow Christ even at great cost. The cost of suffering, personal sacrifice, and submission to him and his authority, even when the authorities of our culture are crying out in other ways. Spoiler alert, okay? This book has tremendous personal application. You see, when we enter into the invitation of the intimacy of a relationship with Christ, we begin to see that his love is actually greater than all the other loves of our world. Like the sun that's shining outside, the light of the sun outshines the billions of stars that are still in the galaxy. So, too. The love of Christ outshines all other loves. Here's an example. If, this is a spoiler alert, I'm just going to tell you, it's kind of like showing you the end of the movie, all right? You might get mad at me, but I think you'll get over it. In chapter 13, the author, in verse 5, he says, keep your life free from a love of money. And you say, well, how do I do that? I mean, he obviously didn't write that from 24, First, second, 2022 in America, right? Keep your life free from the love of money. He has no idea. Well, he, the, the way we do it, he says, is uh, to be content knowing that Jesus has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Spoiler, the greatness of Jesus is greater than material wealth and comfort. The greatness of Jesus is greater than any other relationship that we have. The greatness of Jesus leads to contentment. Are you content? God wants to give you satisfaction and contentment through his love and through his life. And the greatness of Jesus is the ground of that. We're going to see today that when we take the invitation for the intimate relationship with Jesus, that our relationship with Christ becomes our primary identity. And that through that, we receive a primary community. In a primary mission. That's why the vision of our church is to love Christ, love one another, and love the city. Because our primary identity is Christ, no other identity. Our primary community is his body, the church. And our primary purpose in our mission in life is to love as he's loved us. Our neighbors, our neighborhoods, and the nations. So let's look at the greatness of Jesus that's manifest in this passage. Uh, The author of Hebrews wants us to see nine different ways that Jesus is great. Can you look down at the passage with me and you're going to see him. At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, God has spoken to us through his son. Jesus is the final word of God. God revealed himself before through prophets, but he speaks now through the Word made flesh. Jesus Christ. Jesus is the greatest Word. The Word that spoke creation into existence is now the one who is revealed in creation to give you a new existence and be a new creation. Two, not only is the greatest Word, but in the last days He spoke to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things. Jesus is is the formal heir of all things. What does that mean? That means that all things ultimately belong to Jesus. He's the owner of everything. He's the owner of your clothes. He's the owner of your car. He's the owner of your yard. He's the owner of your apartment or your house or your education, your resources, your money, every single thing. He is the heir, the owner, the rightful owner of it all. That kind of changes how we relate to, I don't know, everything. He is the formal heir of all things. But not only that, the third thing we're called to see in the greatness of Jesus, through whom he's appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the word that created. Number four, he's the radiance of the glory of God. He is the full radiance of God. He is the light of lights. He is the light of the world. In the same way that the, the light comes from the sun, so too, and reflecting its radiance, so too the light of lights, who is Jesus Christ, is the full radiance of the glory of God in all of its warmth and all of its welcome. So much so that it's the next thing we see. He is the exact imprint of God's nature. He is the exact picture, the exact image. When you look at Jesus, you see God. He's the greatest picture that you can have of who God is. The love, the goodness, the justice, the light, the mercy of God, all in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He is the, The seal that is the wax on the envelope, the letter of God's love for you. He is the exact imprint of his nature, of the radiance, of the glory of God. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Not only is he the creator, but he's also the sustainer. Do you understand what it means that he upholds the universe? Do you get that? By the word of his power? Paul says the same thing in Colossians 1. Let me give you a little bit of perspective of the greatness of who this Jesus is. I'm going to quote from a book that I read called the, uh, it's got in Brennan Manning, The Ragamuffin Gospel. I highly recommend the book. Uh, But this is a random quote when he's talking about the infinite nature of God and the intimacy of his love for us. The earth's weight has been estimated at six sextillion tons. That is a six with 21 zeros. That's a lot. Yet it's perfectly balanced as it turns on its axis. It revolves daily, get this, at the rate of more than 1,000 miles an hour. More than 1,000 miles. The earth that's six sextillion tons in weight spins 25,000 times a day. That adds up to 9 million miles a year. And considering the tremendous weight of six tons rolling at this fantastic of a speed around an invisible axis, it's held in place by unseen bands of gravitation, uh, or the word of his power. The earth revolves in its own orbit around the sun, making a long ecliptical circuit of 600 million miles each year, which means that we're traveling in orbit At 19 miles per second. That is 1,140 miles per hour. You don't feel that, do you? That's unbelievable. How does that sustain on an invisible axis? Because of the greatness of the power of the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ. That is greatness. And not only does he sustain creation, but look at the next thing it said. Uh, He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And then after making purification for our sins, he sat down. Jesus is the purifier of all sins. He infinitely rules over all the universe, but he intimately cares about your sin, your struggle, your shame, your wandering out of the yard, your leaving the Father that loves you, you going to other places of refuge and warmth, the idols of your heart that are greater affections than the love of your heavenly Father. He has paid the penalty for the sin. His death on the cross demonstrates the wrath of God against sin, but the penalty that is paid so that the power of sin in your life can be gone. You can have a greater affection that takes you from the idol of your heart, the idols of your heart, those things which capture your affection that aren't the love and the lordship of Jesus. And you can hope in the reality that one day there'll be no more presence of sin at all. Penalty paid. Power gone. Your sin has no power on you if you're in Christ. Your shame history because you're secure in the love of God and the promise is that one day the presence of sin will be totally gone. But look, he's sitting at the right hand of the majesty on high. He's in a position of authority. And we're going to see how Jesus is better and greater than all kinds of Old Testament images that includes random people like Melchizedek and well-known people like Moses. Jesus is greater than Moses He's greater than the Torah. We're going to see he's greater uh, than uh, the temple and the tabernacle. He's greater than the promised land. He's greater than the Old Testament sacrificial system. And one thing we're going to see, he's the greatest high priest. And the high priest had to annually get up to make atonement. They were never sitting down in the Old Testament. But Jesus here, he sits down. Why? Because it's finished. Sins are paid for, and he has this position of authority. Jesus is greater. And he has, look at verse, the, the ninth thing is that Jesus has the greatest name. He's greater than angels. We're going to talk about that next week, and, and it's all kinds of applicable. It might seem kind of distant to you. Greater than angels, okay. Um, we don't think about that much, but you'll see. You'll walk out of next week be like, wow, thank you, Jesus. You're greater than angels. Uh, but here, uh, he has a greater name. A more excellent name is the last one. This is where Paul can say in f- places like all over the place, but Philippians chapter 2. You remember when Paul says in in verses 9 and 10, that is the name of Jesus. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess what? He is Lord. He has the greatest name. He is the greatest of all great. And it's because of his greatness that it's majestic in how he humbled himself to take the penalty for our sins so that we can enter into relationship. So the invitation is to know Jesus in such a deep personal level, level that his grace transforms you and you begin to see his greatness. It's like wrapping in ribbon in a present. Or, it's like a, a setting of a plate and utensils and food. Our temptation is to be distracted with the wrapping, the presents, the ribbons, the, the meal setting and the food. But nobody mistakes the gift, right? We know the gift. We know the meat of the meal. And the invitation of the gospel is that you don't get distracted with all the wrappings or all of the setting. If you're a vacation fan, the movie Chevy Chase, remember the character Cousin Eddie? Uh, In the first vacation, he says a line that just rings with me. He says, I don't know why they call this stuff Hamburger Helper. It does just fine by itself. (laughs) And you're like, okay, Cousin Eddie. Yeah. Like, so often Christians are like that, right? I don't know why they call this stuff Hamburger Helper. It does just fine by itself. And we forfeit the meat that is the Word of God. And the work of God, Jesus himself, who is God. Now, what does this look like practically? I want to spend a few moments unpacking the meat of the matter. And I want to do this through diagnosing what I think is the greatest thing on our globe, (laughs) according to our world. And then I want to follow the implications of that and invite us to come experience the greatness of Jesus. So... Uh, What is the greatest thing on our globe? I'm going to argue that we think the greatest thing on our globe is us, ourselves. And this is captured through a graphic that I saw in an article called Data Never Sleeps, a really random uh, 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 publication by a place called the Visual Capitalist. And what they do is they they put out graphics that explain uh, economic things. And one thing they were explaining was how data is captured 24 hours a day, 60 minutes an hour. Data never sleeps. And they give a snapshot. And you'll never guess it, how unbelievable the numbers are for what they captured. There's a graphic. You can read it perfectly, can't you? Let me translate it. 167 million videos every minute are viewed on TikTok. 575,000 tweets are sent on Twitter, 65,000 photos are viewed on Instagram, 240,000 pictures are shared on Facebook, and this does not include the 44 million views on Facebook every single minute. There are 694,000 hours of YouTube that are watched every minute in our world. 542,000 hours of TV watched on Netflix, average of 5,700,000 searches in a minute on Google, 2,400,000 Snapchats. Are you ready for this? $283,000 a minute spent on Amazon with 6 million people shopping online at once with an average of $304,000 sent on Venmo every minute around the world. That's a data glimpse of one minute in 2021. It is dramatically up compared to 2020 and then 2019. A lot of that, I didn't include the... uh, the, um, the Zoom uh, numbers and all that, but you can tell that uh, what we are spending our time on in our world reflects something of what we see as the greatest. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying the internet's bad. I'm not saying social media is bad. I am saying uh, that when we look for things that only God can give us, in our virtual engagement, and our social media management, then we miss the invitation for intimacy that God's grace gives us to discover the greatness of Jesus Christ. If we spend more time curating our followers than actually following Jesus, uh, if we spend more time trying to establish our status or look for significance Uh, anything that we can find, uh, a source of comfort and ease, what we're looking for online that we can only find in Christ, then we're exalting the greatness of something else, and we are missing the invitation to discover the grace of God and the greatness of Jesus. You see, the invitation to see Jesus is better is not to try to do better. It's not a duty to perform but it's a delight to prefer. So the reason I bring that up is not to shame us and, oh my gosh, look at how much online time we're spending in our country and our culture. Like, uh, can't we just turn to Jesus? I'm not doing that. What I am saying is that it reflects what we exalt in our hearts. And let me tell you again, online, social media, it's not bad. My daughter goes to University of Texas. She's on a ministry team for a student ministry. Her role is social media. She uses the internet and social media avenues to try to get the gospel out and to connect people with the ministry. That's a good thing. But you know what the casualties are of seeking things online that we can only find in Christ? The same data that is showing what an internet minute looks like is paralleled with the rise in what the Center for Disease Control started calling in 2015 diseases or deaths of despair. There is a rising, correlating uh, trajectory of anxiety, depression, and despair and primarily manifests in chemical dependency where people are so isolated and so lonely that they're looking for things that can bring them life, and it's leading to massive death. Now, here's why I, this is super interesting, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna thank a guy named John Stone Street for some of this. And then uh, one thing that I'm fascinated with is the Harvard Center uh, of, of Studies for Human Flourishing program. So I'm gonna refer to a couple of things that I get mainly from them, and then I'm gonna read you a quote. Okay, uh, so. Unlike the Spanish flu, okay, COVID has not really uh, impacted in the same amount of proportions people who are young adults, okay, uh, people who are working adults. uh, The Spanish flu was like indiscriminate. It took out everybody. But COVID has hit people that are more on the margins and not that, but here's what's interesting. The death rate of young adults and working adults has not improved since 1953. Like, it, medicine's improved, healthcare's improved, but, but not the death rate. And the driving thing is isolation, anxiety, depression, that's leading to dependency, drug overdoses. We know this in our families as alcoholism, we know this as Oxycontin addiction, Uh, other dependencies on highly potent synthetic opioids. No family's exempt from it. But it's happening and being facilitated and fueled to a great extent because of the data we see in the internet, internet we're more and more isolated, okay? Now, I'm not saying the internet's bad or social media's bad, I am saying that the more we give ourselves to greatness of ourselves online and look online for what we can only find in God, the more isolated we're going to feel, the more alone we're going to feel, and the less we're going to miss God's ideal. And here's why we need it. The Harvard program, the Harvard Center for Human Flourishing, has tremendous insight. Go online and check this thing out. Uh, yes, go online. See, it's not all bad, okay? All right. But they, this is what they came out with. They've been doing a study the past two years. And this is, by the way, you've heard me talk about the Gallup study on mental health. Gallup studied mental health the past 18 months, and they, there was only one demographic, one demographic that had improved mental health during COVID. That one demographic were people who worshipped regularly. People who went to worship regularly. The Harvard Center Program for Human Flourishing says this. This is quoted in an article in Psychology Today, but it's particularly relevant for you and me. Much of our research, this is a direct quote, much of our research has highlighted the important role that religious communities play in human flourishing, including preventing depression and suicide, extending longevity, improving marital outcomes, facilitating happiness and meaning, forgiveness and hope. The size of the effects of religious community participation tend to exceed those of other forms of social participation. With regard to effects on mortality, positive effects on mortality, suicide, and even cardiovascular disease, the effects of religious service participation are larger for any other social participation indicator that is examined, including marriage, and time spent with friends and family, and hours spent in other community groups, virtual or otherwise... See, empirical research that is common grace, common knowledge from the University of Harvard that is backed up with, with data from the Center of Disease Control supports this idea that when our primary identity is in Christ and the primary community he has for us is the church, that it moves us from isolation where we're trying to find what only God can give us online into intimate relationship and engagement, which, by the way, has at its core, it is not good for man to be alone. We are created to be in relationship with God and with one another. The empirical research indicates something that God's word tells us again and again and again. Now, why is this the case? Because if our eyes are just focused on ourselves, our own problems, our own circumstances, our own followers, our own agendas, our own status, our own uh, financial updates, our own investments, our own, uh, our, our own calendars, our own this, our own that, then inevitably oh, we live like this in despair. But being involved in a worshiping community in the word of God lifts our eyes to something greater. And the grace of God invites you into intimate relationship where you see the greatness, the greatness of Jesus. And you say, Mitchell, you know, maybe you follow the line of D.A. Carson. I mean, if Jesus is the greatest, couldn't this 13 chapter book or letter or sermon, all these series, can't we just say that Jesus is the greatest in closing prayer? Isn't that just possible? Jesus is the greatest. Well, then we miss it because we need more than that declaration. We need daily digestion of this in our discipleship so that we're constantly evaluating the affections of our heart. That which we say is the greatest in our life and our love needs to be managed and regulated by the grace of God, the word of God, in the work of God at this table. So here's ways we're going to do this as we come to the table first. I want to, Your calendar displays what you think is the greatest. And I'm just going to challenge you to spend time in the Word of God personally, daily, reading it. If you have trouble with that, if you're like me and you just say, well, I always start strong. And I don't really finish strong. Uh, my wife, Lisa and I, Lisa is uh, an amazing Uh, partner in a million ways but one of them is I love doing our our daily blog through the Bible it's called Richly Dwelling and if you want an example of what it looks like with Hebrews 1 you can go to richlydwelling.com and you can see it if it will help you to subscribe to that and get a daily email uh, that takes you through the Bible in four years, chapter a day, six days a week then we want to invite you to do that but if it's not that then what is it that you are going to daily digest the greatness of Jesus and his word and his work. Simple reading plan to get in the word. Second, you need to spend regular time in relationship with Christians. And I don't just mean proximity, but I mean personal accountability. Who do you have in your life that is sharpening you and shaping you? Third, corporate worship. Gallup. Harvard, they all say it. We're flourishing more as humans when we worship regularly. That's the invitation that God's grace gives. Worship weekly. Fourth, daily discipleship. Let somebody pour into you, pour into somebody else, and together experience the greatness of Jesus as you seek to live for the glory of Jesus in all things. And finally, finally, We get to feast on his grace. No matter where you are today, if you belong to Jesus, he wants to feed you with his grace. We come in our poverty, our honesty, that we have wandered from the Lord, and we feast on the richness of his love. We come to him in death, and we feast on the life that he gives to the cross. We come to him in mortality, and we experience the immortal forever eternal promises of God that come in his word, and his work. And we can be sure of this, that no matter where we've looked, if you belong to Christ, this is your table. If you're not a Christian, we want to invite you to come to Christ and re- 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 refrain from feasting right now. This is for Christians that know Jesus as Lord and Savior. But listen, we can be sure of this, that Jesus will give you All that he promises, because it was a night that Jesus was betrayed before he went to the cross. I'm going to put this on just because we're coming to the table. That he took bread. And after supper, he broke it. He gave thanks. He said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this is the new covenant of my blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. As long as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. And friends, he will return again. And until that day, he wants you to feast on his grace. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your life and your love. We thank you for your word and your work. We thank you for your grace and your greatness. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would set apart these common and ordinary elements, this bread and this cup, and that you would, by the power of your Spirit, feed our souls. We know, Lord, you're locally present at the right hand of the Father, positioned in authority, finished your work after purifying us from our sin. But we also know, Lord, that you're spiritually present in this moment. And as people come, Lord, in their loneliness and despair, uh, their fears, their frustrations, their sense of shame and failure from their sin, I ask King Jesus that they would feast on your grace. Lord, we love you and we thank you that we can belong to you. And as your disciples, we come to this table praying the way that you taught us to pray, saying together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven,